Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program. Welcome to a special bonus up front. I'm Chloe Morgan. And I'm Rachel O'Sullivan. Today marks the release of a landmark report into the true impact of Euro 2022. That's right. Despite the Lionesses' success on the pitch, there are still so many unanswered questions about the legacy it will leave behind. Football charity Football Beyond Borders have put together a report asking one simple question. Has the Lionesses' win led to more inner city teenage girls becoming more engaged with the women's game? In short, it hasn't. The reasons are complex and to do with some incredibly deep-rooted social norms, from the environment children grow up in at school to the lack of diversity at the top of women's football and how the media presents the game itself. So today, we're speaking to two of the people who are at the heart of the research to find out more, Deborah Nelson and friend of the pod, Salon Andy Hickman. Salon, Deborah, thank you so much for joining us uh, on this Easter weekend. Uh, I mean, first off, before we get started, I mean, who had Easter eggs? Are you allowed Easter eggs? Are you, is that in the Football Beyond Borders uh, programme to have an Easter egg for, for this special weekend? You know what? I was actually just talking to my friends and I was like, I'm quite disappointed, but I didn't receive any Easter eggs this year. <laughs> like, and I oh, know it's no. not about receiving Easter eggs and all of this, but I was just like... It is a little Ooh. bit. It is yeah. a little bit. <laughs> I was like, what's going on? Like, I was like, I actually haven't eaten any chocolate this weekend. And I felt oh, a bit no. sad. Like, I mean, Salon, where were you? The least you could have done with Deborah and all the help that she's given you with, with this report would have, you know, just a, a cheeky cream egg wouldn't have got a miss. <laughs> 
Oh, you're making me look terrible, Chloe. I didn't get any Easter eggs either, and I wasn't in the country, so there's my excuse. Oh, I, I, I also now? feel quite should sad. We, like two seconds. Well, we, it's all in the reductions. Some. Yeah, and we'll just stuff our faces with chocolate while we discuss this report. We'll do the pod on a it's massive actually, sugar yeah. high. Um, I mean, we should probably get stuck in. There's so much to cover in this report. Such a fantastic report. I mean, the central question uh, around the report is, has the Lionesses win led to more inner city teenage girls becoming more engaged with the women's game? I mean, first off, I think it'd be absolutely amazing uh, if both of you could sort of tell our listeners how you're both involved in this project, what it means to you. Um, Celon, if you want to kick us off. So... In essence, we we kind of we have football beyond borders, which is the education charity that I've spoken about a few times on the on the pod before. We work directly with young people in schools to support them to stay in school and get their GCSEs. We also have an arm called YBB, which is called Youth Beyond Borders. Youth Beyond Borders is our youth insights and creative collective. It's really about elevating young people's voices, supporting young people to get into the creative industry, and basically. YBB is completely owned by FBB, so any income that we generate gets reinvested to support our, our programs on the ground. I'm at FBB, I'm head of brand at Football Beyond Borders, but I also worked with Deborah to build our girls' program five years ago and scale it to across London, Manchester, and Birmingham. Deborah is on the board at Youth Beyond Borders, so it's a bit of a, a collab and we've come together. We came together in January to self-fund this piece of research and we've, we've had a specialist research team working at, at YBB on it. And we spoke to FBB girls on our programme, but we also spoke to a much wider net of teenage girls across London, Manchester and Birmingham. I think, Deborah, I think you can probably tell us a little bit more about why we did this and what the, the feeling that we had when we kind of came into the, this year. Yeah, um, yeah, I guess basically just off, the, just off of the magic, the energy, the vibes, the pure emotion that everyone felt last summer, like over 360 million people tuned in to watch the Euros last year. And I think all of us, like especially Salon, we spent a lot of time during the Euros together and we kept on reflecting, being like, the game has come so far from when we were playing the game. And like, we just had all these moments of like sheer joy. Um, but then I bo- we were booked, booked back into schools and that joy wasn't there. Like I expected to walk back into schools in September and just have an abundance of conversations with teenage girls, teenage boys about the beautiful football that was on show. Like it was a home tournament. We won it, we lifted the trophy, like everyone should have known about it. But actually we were hit with the the reality that barely anyone was talking about it in schools. Um, so yeah, this report was kind of built on a hunch of like, we had an assumption that the, the win, the success hadn't actually reached our teenage girls, but we really wanted to turn that assumption into facts and allow our teenage girls to really tell their stories and speak about their experiences and relationship with the game because it isn't as black and white as we think it is in the boardrooms, making these assumptions about teenage girls' relationships. And actually it is quite complicated. Um, there's like so many findings that we found about like, the impact a man has on a girl's relationship with football or the impact that social media has on a girl's relationship with football. And I guess, yeah, we really wanted to turn those assumptions into facts and actual reality and put in, put the girls at the centre of that information. So, yeah, that's kind of where it was born out of. No, I um, I definitely relate to that. I remember on um, the Sunday with the uh, the Euros final, and obviously it was just crazy. It's mental scenes, mental scenes in Box Park afterwards. It was carnage. And then you walk into work on Monday and I was like... Uh, 
hello. Um, <laughs> you know what happened. <laughs> sorry, there's this monumental, massive, significant, life-changing, history-making event that just went on at the weekend. Not too sure where the red carpets are, not too sure where the banners, the flags, the balloons are. Um, but yeah, it's interesting to hear your sort of take and perspective that, that was a similar thing in schools, because I think naively I would have felt the same thing, that all girls across the country would be thinking, wow, what a moment, so glad I saw it, how inspiring. It feels like we kind of get caught up in a bubble sometimes, don't we? And we kind of... All of your surroundings are football and people who like football. And you think, oh my God, this is amazing. Like everyone's so into it. Um, and then, yeah, like you said, e- even within football, when we came back to it after the Euros, and I think we thought things like press boxes were going to be packed out and like it was going to be really hard to, I don't know, get accreditation or get tickets to a match. And like, yeah, there's been some increase, but I think maybe our expectations were maybe a little bit higher than we thought. And you kind of, you come out of your bubble and realize, oh, there's still work to be done, right? Absolutely. And I think, um, I mean, it'd be amazing to hear from both you guys about how you sort of got, you know, how you put all this research together, how you went about this, like the, the perspectives that you included, because um, obviously the, I mean, the report is so thorough. Yeah, so we spoke to over 650 teenage girls and non-binary young people across London, Manchester and Birmingham. Some of those were in the FPB network, as I said, um, much more of them were outside of the FBB network. Uh, over 70% of them resided in inner cities, um, largely girls from kind of working class communities, largely girls of colour. Um, and that was through a, a wide survey. So I was really understanding some of the uh, the quant points in in their lives and really getting those, those hard stats that, that we've seen in the report. 63% of teenage girls still can't name a single lioness. One in 10 of our teenage girls never watch men's football, but that actually rises to one in four for the women's game. And 67% of teenage girls don't follow any women's football players on social media at all. So they, those stats came from that wide survey. And then we really wanted to get into the deep dives. We wanted to really understand what was going on there, most importantly, and really get into the qualitative side in those focus groups and the deep dive interviews. But also... We wanted to understand what their thoughts were on what needs to change. And I think that was really important to capture in this research. We could have put out a report that just said, look, this is the this is the state of play. What are you all going to do about it? But actually, by working some of that through with our teenage girls and understanding, well, what is it that you need the game to do? What is it that you need a brand to do? What is it that you need the FA to do, etc.? That then we could elevate those voices through some of the recommendations and have sort of a, a practical manual between now and the World Cup in the summer to ensure that these girls don't miss out. Chloe, we've talked before uh, in previous podcasts about, you know, the marketing of the game and how it's often quite broad stroked. It's not, you know, there's so many opportunities now with online marketing to diversify your marketing and be niche and to tap into groups and to serve different types of content. And I don't feel like yet in the women's game, we're doing that enough. And like, we have the tool, we have the tools to do it now with your report. We have like the suggestions of, of the content and the, the conversations that we should be having. And it's just putting those two things together could be so impactful. Definitely. I think the, the marketing side and the stories that we tell, that's what captures a teenage girl if it's in the right place. If you're telling the right stories and you're doing it in the right place that reaches our girls is really, really important. That stat about teenage girls not following women's football players on social media, when we asked the question in the focus groups around what, which players they did follow, lots of the men's players did come up. They all followed Neymar and they had different reasons for following Neymar, but they knew who was. Most of them followed Saka. 
And actually what you can do is start being quite clever about using those spaces and those players' profiles to demonstrate allyship, to elevate some of our women's football players and women's football culture, because then they can't avoid it. What we talk about in the report as one of the recommendations is the second one is around hijacking men's football culture. That's exactly what we mean because it really, really shows up. And then there's also other clever things that you can really do to... To, to make women's football more present in the teenage girl's life. And one of them actually, really good example of it does involve Deborah. We, we know that girls who see role models who can be like too far away in their lives, so like top of the game, they can often see, say, well, I'm never going to get there. So that doesn't feel relevant to me. And it kind of puts me off. So a professional player doesn't share that many similarities with my life in Brixton, for example. But who does share similarities with my life in, in Brixton is, is Deborah. So find the Deborahs of the community and make sure you platform them. And Nike did this really, really well last year with Deborah, where they used their partnership with Vogue, at their comms partnership, to put Deborah in Vogue. So then Deborah can take that Vogue into the school, show the teenage girls around her and say, look, and, and the story's all about women's football and the story's about Deborah ensuring other girls get the chance to play like she did. And that's really clever marketing because it's not doing the same old things that we've done before. And we need more and more brands or, or communications platforms to do things like that. So then our teenage girls go, man, she looks like me. She sounds like me. I get her. I know her. And I want to do the same thing. And that will inspire me. And we found that in the report that, you know, we had, there's a quote in there about, actually it's my sister or my auntie or my, like the people who are really close to me and because they play football that means I like it. Deborah, I mean I've got to ask first off I mean how many copies of that Vogue have you got because I would be <laughs> if I was in Vogue I would want I'd have about 400 copies at home. <laughs> <laughs> I can't lie Chloe. yeah that moment <laughs> mind-blowing I remember when um for my birthday the, bir- the year after like all my friends just like just like every birthday card had that picture <laughs> like it was very crazy and then um at my um leave i know fbb also blew up the picture on like a massive board um for me to to take home as well but yeah life-changing moment i think salon what you mentioned around me being able to go into schools and just show the teenage girls that was a crazy opportunity like i remember i was telling the story at the event um last week and i was just saying how I actually just walked in with the magazine in a plastic bag, in like a Sainsbury's bag, because I wasn't too sure about what the girl's reaction would be. Um, But actually the reason why they connected with it so much was one, because it was me and I'd spent so much of my time with them and and we'd built up a relationship, but also this idea of like cross-cultural references and like how it was a fashion magazine. So I was able to appeal to the young teenage girls that actually were interested in fashion rather than football. And I was able to bring the two together through that one magazine, which I think is like something that we also spoke about in the report and which we found out in our workshops was that like actually a lot of the girls have other passions that they're trying to balance with football. So for example, there was a young girl called Isabel who's on our program and who also sat on our panel last week. And she spoke about how she doesn't really see herself playing football anymore, but she'll follow it. And the reason that why that is, is because actually she has a massive passion for music and that is allowing her to 
transcend quicker than football was and like she can see that positive tra- trajectory with through music rather than through football and i think for but yet music is something that could still draw her into the game like for example if we had an opportunity where we asked her to create a rap for example about women's football she'd probably do it because we're using her passion for um for music in order to engage her in football so i think for me as well like talking about hijacking men's culture but also hijacking culture in general and like allowing the cross-cultural references to appear and happen will also then improve girls interest in the sport i think it's such um, an interesting time i think when you're talking about the fusion there of football and something else so football and fashion or football and culture football and music i mean the amount of circulation and attention that Alessia Russo in that um, that recent Adidas um, commercial that she's done with Mo Salah, I mean, that's a way in for people to associate sort of football with brands and to sort of reach out to a different audience that isn't just completely football focused on tactics, strategy, match reports, that kind of thing. It is actually that there is a culture around football that can be really beautiful and can appeal to the different nature. So I think obviously, I know some of the report, and I'm just touching a little bit here on... Um, there was a sort of a line in the report about it being seen as a little bit still too masculine. Do you think sort of, you know, having the opportunity to fuse football with something else reaches a different audience and sort of takes that edge away from it? It's still seen as sort of, um, you know, back in the day, if you played football, you were butch and like you had to wear denim and you had checkered shirts. And that was like the old school kind of lesbian vibe around the football industry, but um, that women's football industry. But now I think that's completely changing. So have you seen that that shift? I think it started. It's definitely started. I think if you draw comparisons to what I guess all of us grew up with when we looked at, we were teenagers and we looked at um, the England team who wouldn't have been called lionesses and wore big baggy umbro tracksuits and you know they, they, they were the images of them getting on the plane right it was a very different look and, and feel you've just seen a, the the kit release last week um the nike kits which are yeah they, they're reclaiming like femininity in in football and it's wicked i think we still have quite a long way to go in changing the perception of women's football in schools for teenage girls is what we found through this report. I think when we really dug into it and it's quite a, yeah, it's quite a saddening finding, but not necessarily surprising is that in a school, so a teenage brain is like, goes through this period of kind of 13, 14, 15, where it is absolutely primed for peer approval. Like that's the thing that matters the most. And that's the way the brain is hardwired. That's not just, oh, teenagers are like that. That is their brain chemistry that, and so all that matters to them is basically whether they, they feel accepted, fit in and, and yeah, approved by their peers. What happens in schools and what we found through this report is that unfortunately, when you look at the kind of hierarchy of cool in a school, what, what is deemed like what are the popular kids into? Women's football isn't at the top of that. Men's football is at the top of that. Men's football penetrates so many different parts of culture, music, fashion, um, gaming, that it becomes all-encompassing. It's everywhere for, for everyone. Their favourite rappers will talk about different footballers. They will see their fashion brands. They'll see the players show up in those fashion brands. And then you have women's football on the side. So you have this thing that's like, oh, it's quite like the men's game, but it's not as cool. It doesn't show up as much in my life. It's kind of harder for me to access slightly. And that reframing of women's football, we have gone a long way. We 100% have, but we ha- we've still got so much more to go to be able to make it sort of, yeah, like 
penetrating all different aspects of a, of a teenager's life and rivaling men's football in that way or having its own distinct unique identity i think deborah and i when, when we were like really we were working with the research team at ybb and we were looking at all these findings and we were like where have we seen this done really 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 well where have we seen like a unique culture around women's football where our girls our teenage girls have gone boom this is a space for me and I really like this and I'm going to talk about this and it's going to be a memory that I hold and we both settled on um I don't know if you guys were there I'm sure some listeners were probably there because it was such an event but in 2019 there was a uh, like a Nike takeover of the Hackney Marshes and it was a women's football tournament but it we took uh, about 30 teenage girls at the time and they came in and they had a Nando's truck here. They had nail uh, painting over here. They had hair braiding over there. They had t-shirt customization. They had a dance workshop over there. And I was like standing there on this iconic like landscape of football, grassroots football of Hackney Marshes, looking around and going, this is, this is women's football. This is how you make women's football relevant for girls and women of all ages, because I was having a wicked time. So was the 12 year old, 13 year old that we were with, because it was like, a rejection of oh men's like men's football has to be this way it was like no let's bring all the things that teenage girls like let's put it in one space let's have football there as well and if you do moments like that and you can um c- capture that feeling and create that unique identity for women's football we will start capturing more and more teenage girls in the game but we we have we have to have everyone doing that. Everyone has to be creating those moments and spaces and creating that, that separate identity for it, I think. I think what's really interesting and in some of the things you said there about so many of them like following male football players and maybe they don't even like football that much, but they know who the players are and they can recognise them and they like them for what they do or what they put out. And it's kind of, at the moment, we focus a lot on the football and getting obviously giving people more opportunities to play the game, but also it's recognising the value of having strong, diverse powerful female role models you don't have to necessarily want to watch football or go to a match but you can recognize and be inspired by these players and these women for what they do and it's kind of it's almost like a dual thing at the moment and I think a lot of the stuff going on with say the FA and that kind of thing is looking at obviously opportunities to play and access to watch but actually there's so much more to the sport that we should be using it for. 100% like even in during the workshops like so many of the girls when we asked them about like whether they recognized the lionesses or if they understood the success of like how big last summer was a lot of them had no clue but actually what they did turn around and say was but I don't mean that in an offensive way because actually the fact that they're playing football is super inspiring and like they kept on coming back to this idea and they kept on saying but what they're doing for women is super cool like, even though they don't associate themselves with wanting to play the sport, they still recognise the power and the significance of what they've done and what they've achieved. And I think for a lot of our teenage girls and a lot, and what we want to um, relay to them is actually, like, so many of them are just like, we just want to know a bit more about them or we just want to know who they are, what they do. Like, they just want to really connect with their character and their identity rather than attaching to the fact that they are a footballer and they want and those teenage girls want to aspire to be that but rather they just want to know who they are as a human rather than as a footballer um and I think yeah like exactly what you were saying the fact that they were saying 
we don't understand or relate or follow football, but we understand that they are human and that they're doing amazing revolutionary things for the next generation is super sick. Um, so I think we need to just play on that a lot more as well, mm. just like highlighting these women as game changers and people that are trying to improve the lives of teenage girls because that's what they're doing, right? They're putting football on the map. They're allowing another route for or another career goal for some teenage girls to aspire to. Um, so I think, yeah, it's about, it's like a dual approach of wanting to improve yeah. accessibility to the, actually playing the game, but also just improving accessibility to the game as a whole and accessibility to positive role models that teenage girls can associate themselves with. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. But I just wondered whether you felt, I mean, when you sort of look at the squad now as to how it was in the Euros, I mean, there was a load of controversy and a load of um, attention around the fact that the Lionesses squad isn't particularly diverse. Um, it wasn't in the Euros, it's less so now with uh, Demi Stokes and, and Nikita Paris being dropped. Do you think that sort of um, plays a little bit part, a, a little bit of a part, I suppose, in how young people engage with the Lionesses? Because I, I look at that squad and I think you've got a very, very slim chance of making it to be a lioness if you're a mixed race, black or Asian girl. That's that. And I'm 33. It was one of the, one of the conversation points that black facilitated quite a lot of time. Um, and I think I touched on one of the activities that we um, did with our young people in the workshops, which was the idea of what moments improved your relationship, which moments um, worsened your relationship. And yeah, so not surprisingly, like a lot of those experiences that worsen their relationship were often to do with like representation. And a lot of the girls mentioned that like there was a lack of like um, ethnic, like ethnic back backgrounds of like representation, but also this lack of like ends representation of like 
all the, a lot of the lionesses don't represent the ends. Like a lot of them come from areas outside of the city. Um, and I think for a lot of the young people, like one barrier of not being able to relate and feel represented by the lionesses is the lack of ethnicity, um, diverse ethnicity, but also this idea that like they don't have the same lived experiences as a lot of the teenage girls that we spoke to. Like so many of them were like, we can't relate to them because we're struggling to at attach ourselves to any parts of their identity and like any of their characteristics. If you compare that, say, to men's football, which feels more representative, why why is it like what is it that 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 has worked on that side where you feel like it's more representative in the men's game but less so in in the women's what's the difference do you think i don't know do you want do you want to take this one that a classic story of the uh, the school oh, in peckham oh yeah 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 two schools in peckham um i mean there's a whole heap of reasons as to why um the men's game looks completely different to the women's mm -hmm. game um i think yeah, loads of people have spoken about the amount of money that are in both games, um, the ability where training grounds are, like all of those kind of issues that prevent a young teenage girl from the city being able to access the sport. Um, but the story that Salon's talking about is of a school in Peckham who had, yeah, a really talented young boy who was playing football at academy level. Um, and in order to get him to training, a cab would be waiting for him outside of his school, ready to drop him from, from his school to training and then also back home in order for him to be able to access the game and continue playing. Whereas we have young teenage girls who have this dream of wanting to play football, but are being forced to get free trains and a bus in order to get to Cobham or in order to get to Arsenal's training ground. Um, and I guess, yeah, that story is just like how much money and investment and time is put into allowing a boy to dream and reach his dream of wanting to become a professional footballer versus the amount of money, time and investment that's put into a teenage girl from the inner city. And I think one thing that I've spoken a lot about is this idea of like having a coach or a individual role model that actually like excels and goes above and beyond in order to allow that teenage girl to get achieve their dream like Alex speaks of Alex Scott speaks about a coach that basically got found the trial and was like you should go to an Arsenal trial but found her in a cage opposite her like in her house in her estate um just wonder that's a, a football of... cage not an actual cage just <laughs> yeah, 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 out yeah. There. <laughs> yeah 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 football cage in her estate in her estate but yeah yeah let's clarify that not an actual cage um but like and then also like the role of having community leaders that really like go above and beyond and i think the women's game really needs to move away from that because not every teenage girl is going to have this community leader that's going to be able to elevate her from her environment and take her to these different opportunities. Um, and it's about like, how do we just open the game wholeheartedly, even like having access centers and like talent centers where you can bring people to your environment, but then how is, yeah, it's just about making it as accessible as possible. No, I think you spoke about one of my biggest fears then, Deborah. I think um, that the game is going to become elitist. Um, and getting to the elite level is going to become elitist because I, I do feel like, I mean, from what you were saying there, you know, getting to Cobham, getting to, I mean, I played uh, with Arsenal Reserves for a year and 
I was I was fortunate enough to drive. I mean, but getting to Colney is an absolute mission if you don't. I mean, getting to the Palace Academy training ground again, an absolute mission. It's um so unless you've got the kind of uh, family structure and background um, in place behind you, um, you know, to have a parent who's able to drive you to training sessions or a parent who's able to afford new boots, new gloves if you're a goalkeeper, all the base layers and things that come, the petrol cost, the you know the the nice food that you probably want to eat the the Huels maybe uh, I've got a friend Huel somewhere because it's become a new fave drink thanks to Ceylon um, other drinks are and, um, available other drinks are available <laughs> but uh, Ceylon is sponsored by Huel and has now made it her mission to ensure that I am also a Huel person um, but I do think the cost of all that really adds up Ceylon is that something that you've kind of seen in the, the research and the data that's come out of um, you know the, the work that you've done oh 100% and I think that is that is the current picture, definitely. And I wanted to just propose a potential thought experiment of actually going the other way because of the increased investment in the game. There's no reason to say that, because you've got people so prominent like Emma Hayes talking on this, right? I think she did an interview a few months ago, weeks ago, where she she was like, we can't make women's football the prawn sandwich <laughs> club. Like we've just got these academies in, in Surrey. We've got these academies out in the sticks and we're missing so many talents so much talent the Anita Santes the Rachel Yankees the Alex Scotts etc and I want us to say that we are at this like precipice right we're at this this crossroads and I think with increased investment because the game is becoming more and more commercialized because it's even more important for the top teams to find the best talent to be able to have the edge on others they surely are going to start clocking on that that talent is not limited to the home counties. That talent is in, in cities. So you invest and you put your money in the resources because it's also such a high-profile issue with how many people are talking about where the academies are. I think we're, we're quite well acquainted with the issue now as a sector. By then flipping it on its head and saying, we've got this additional investment from gate money or TV money or sponsorship money. Let's build a talent centre in Brixton. Or let's build, let's put our coaches into this space in Brixton once a week. We'll pay for that. We will then have a bursary and a fund where actually any teenage girl who comes here and we think she's got the potential to go, to come with us, we then pay for all those things. We pay for the shin pads, we pay for the boots, we pay for the heel, whatever it might <laughs> be, right? Expensive. And we get those girls. <laughs> we get those girls out. And it's, there's no reason we can't do that or we can't start building the infrastructure around at this time because we'll have the increased resources so I, I don't know maybe the optimist in me is saying it doesn't have to be that way going forward it can be different and we're at, this is the time to to make those changes because we have the the profile the investment and the resources coming and they're, they're coming pretty quickly yeah I mean listen if you can afford a taxi for a, a six-year-old boy or whatever it is to go to his training session you can definitely afford some shin pads for a girl living in Brixton for sure I mean the wealth of these clubs I mean you've only got to look at what's happened in the transfer window in January and the billions of pounds that have been spent okay this industry is not short of money no but this like that's I throw out the billion pound figure but it was actual yeah. billions spent in the January yeah. transfer window in the men's game it's mad <laughs> that you can say that there's a, a lack of money floating around to, to support mm. to better support women's um, women and girls football I've got to put a shout out as well for I was on a panel uh, in in February with Anna Kessel and she was like we were banned for 50 years 
like, surely we we deserve some sort of reparations. All right, up for that. And I was like, yeah. sick, <laughs> absolutely, of course. And let's why not why not direct those reparations into the young people who need it most, the girls who are being left behind, the girls who don't have the access to the resources, the girls who have fallen mm. out of love with football, the girls who are like never been able to have that moment and joy and the privilege that us four sitting here having this conversation have all experienced let's redirect it there let's drive their engagement let's find more cultural crossovers let's make it meaningful dismantle the barriers to access to play and then let them have the joy that we've all had had to experience i mean i don't even know how you go about putting a value on the reparation i mean my, my lawyer brain i always feel like i want to jump back into my lawyer mode and go like yeah let's start this legal battle because like I think a billion should probably about cover it, actually. I think that's, yeah, the value of the transfer (laughs) window for the men's football. Billions. (laughs) Literally, I don't know who would pay, but someone needs to pay. Um, (laughs) Well, I think let's have a look forward then. I think um, obviously we've touched on so many of the issues that are still present in the game and it's been amazing to hear about all the perspectives that you've managed to gather. I mean, 650-odd perspectives, individual perspectives, different backgrounds, different experiences of football has been an incredible collation. But yeah, I mean, your report finishes on three recommendations. Um, Hero women's football culture, to hijack men's football culture and to hold more space in culture. I mean, I love putting people on the spot. I mean, if you're going to choose one recommendation out of those three, what would it be and why? Deborah, you can go first since you seem, since you look so prepared for this. (laughs) No, (laughs) I'm not prepared at all. Oh, I think I'm going to go with hijack men's culture. Because I think for me, and understanding and spending so much time with teenage girls and really getting to understand their worlds, like men and men's culture takes up so much of their space and approval and all of those different things that I think if we were able to just hijack it and be like, actually, we're going to take up that space and we're going to do things that are super cool in that space, then I think that will improve the game as a whole and also will... be able to bring those teenage girls into the game. I think one thing, the reason why I said that as well was because of a conversation that I had um, with one of the girls, which was like, she was basically like, every single time I've gone on a trip with FBB, which has been like a super cool one, whether it was the Lioness send-off party at Nighttown London, or whether it was going to St. George's Park, as soon as she posted it on her Snapchat story, an influx of boys' messages came through being like, why are you there? What are you doing? What's going on? Like, that's so unfair. That's so cool. How comes we don't get these experiences? And like, for a teenage boy to to react like that to something that a teenage girl is doing, which is around football and revolves around football was super sick for me because I was like, so many of the things that I used to do around football, none of my friends cared. But then now seeing who I am, what I'm doing, I get that same exact response from my friends who are men as well. And like, they'll turn around and be like, they actually understand it now. They're like, oh, now I get it. Like all those years of you trying to fight that battle, you're like being celebrated for it now. And I'm just like, those teenage girls are on that journey of of where they're about to be celebrated for the thing that they might not have been seen called for before. So I think, yeah, hijacking men's culture could be super powerful in transforming the game and transforming teenage girls' relationships with the game. So, Unfortunately, one of the sad realities of this report is that for a teenage girl in school, men and boys, in whichever format, whether it's at school, whether it's at home, whatever, still hold so much power in how they can express themselves or how, how they, the interests that they take up or the things that they're allowed to do. 
So if you're thinking more of like a, what's going to lead to the most radical social change in this, you have to start there where the power is and you have to unlock some of that power. So I would say as well, hijacking men's culture. I think by working with men and boys and situating women's football unapologetically in those spaces so that men and boys have to take note, I think there's a huge there's more gains to be made there. And we also have to, we cannot not do the work with, with girls and women. And I think that's where my heart lies and that's where the passion is, 100%. But to, to actually be a quite pragmatic about it is hijacking men's culture. And that will then start unlocking some of those spaces and those doors that we then come in and take space, which we rightfully deserve, but almost have to have to work a little bit harder for. And lots of people in the movement can do that and have the means to do that whether it's brands or governing bodies or media there's lots of little things that can be done to sort of have that approach and do it quite quite boldly i think love that um maybe a final one um because i'd love to get your thoughts on this and i think the way you kind of described this report as also being a manual or a tool that can be taken and used and implemented the government um pledge that came out a couple of weeks ago do you think that, you know, A, your thoughts on this, is this something you think is going to make a difference? But do you think that, that your um, report could be a tool that could actually help some of these schools to better utilise those opportunities for uh, girls in their schools? I think it was a really emotional day when that news came out. International Women's Day, a big statement policy promise that will transform a lot of school PE and, and girls' experiences of school PE. But the most important thing, I think, for me was that that came from Lioness activism, that came from Lotta, that came from Leah, that came from the team using a moment to do more. And like that's almost what this report is about. It's like, let's use that moment to do more. Let's help those Lionesses who are trying to do more and say, look, here's some insight, here's some research, here's some data, here's the voices of teenage girls to help us on that journey along along the way. And I think... Whether the policy comes off, we're probably going to have a general election soon. We don't know, and, and like we can't sit on this this call and confidently say this is this is going to happen. Um, I think our report is about really getting into the lives of teenage girls and helping maybe people who work with teenage girls or, or in schools or people who design for teenage girls, whether that's campaigns or programs or anything, that this is what their lives are like, this is their experience. And here's some things that you can do slightly differently. And some of those things are massive national policy level and shifting social norms like hijacking men's culture. Some of them are investing in programs that help a girl be her best self. And there's loads of people doing that and loads of wicked organizations that do that. So um yeah, I'd say it's it's a support. It's a it's an additional research base to support the lionesses on what they're doing and what they're trying to do for society and all of the people around them who are helping with that mission. Here's the teenage girl in a city's experience and let's help her fall in love with football I think also like yeah I agree with Salon that day was super emotional and felt like yeah a real moment of change like an idea a, mo a historical moment and that now it's gone into politics and like and has now been a force for change um but I think also like I took some time to reflect on it and I was like in reality, a lot of teenage girls already have their relationship with sport and they've already got these internal beliefs of where they should be in sport, in football, in PE. Like, 
I want you all to think about the moments where you were taking part in school PE and like how many girls actually took part in it and what their relationship was with PE. And in fact, just by saying every girl should have a minimum of two hours of PE doesn't necessarily do the groundwork and the internal work and the mental work of changing their relationship with PE. But in fact, it does change the relationship that a primary school girl will have with PE. And that primary school girl will grow up with a minimum, knowing a min- only a minimum of two hours of PE, will have an array of grassroots football teams on her doorstep and like will know... F- Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Women's football as something that she can achieve and she can go through. But actually, a teenage girl's relationship is completely different to that. She's got the internal thoughts of believing that football isn't a space for her. She's got, she's known PE as actually I'm going to bring in my sick note and try and get out of it. Like she's got all of these internal beliefs and relate and this relationship with PE that is quite negative. So actually by using and listening to the stories of our teenage girls and our report, actually you can understand that there is a lot more work that needs to be done around this government pledge as well. And like, you can't just look at this in isolation, but you actually need to look at it as really understanding the whole world of a teenage girl in order to make sure that we don't miss this generation. Um, And yeah, to make sure that the next generation is allowed to access um, PE and football as much as this generation of current teenage girls as well. So I think, yeah, it was like an emotional moment, but also a time where like it led to a lot of reflection and like actual actual understanding of what this looks like for teenage girls in the city. 
I mean, I think that is the perfect way to finish um, the picture that you've painted of this future utopia where a young girl in a primary school has access to football sports two hours a week, has an idea that she can play football, whatever level, whether that's grassroots, just for fun, up to lionesses, and she looks around and sees there's lionesses, and the lionesses are completely diverse. And then she has access to a multitude of amazing grassroots teams. And maybe on the Sunday, she goes to watch her mum play football at one of her local grassroots teams. I think, like, from where the, th- the picture was 30 years ago when I was growing up to that picture is exactly how I want things to be. But yeah, thank you so much, both of you, for your incredible insights and for talking us through the sort of main points in the report. Thank you. And if people want to access the report as well, you can um, go onto all of our... um yeah, all of our socials at Football Beyond Borders or at FB Beyond Borders on Twitter. And there is a link to a form to fill out and then you'll you'll get the report in your inbox. And also it is um, 100 days to the World Cup with the Australia game. Um, we have 100 days to change the game and FBB are trying to raise 100k in those wow. 100 days. So we are launching a crowdfunder. So if anyone does want to support the work and the mission or at least retweet, then we are eternally grateful. Okay, thanks for listening to this special episode of Upfront. We'll be back later this afternoon with former Brighton, Leicester and Arsenal goalkeeper Sophie Harris to talk finalissima and have a fascinating chat about the art of goalkeeping. So stay tuned. Uh, If you've got any questions for us in the meantime about this episode, please do tweet us at Football Ramble, Rachel's at Girls on the Ball and I am at Morgie underscore 89. See you in a bit. Upfront is a Stack Production and part of the Acast Creator Network.